How to get plugged into those who don't know Jesus. Care for their lost spiritual condition. And the key word today is the word care. Care. And when you think of the word care, um, you, you might be thinking of yourself. You know, you want us got to be nice to people. And, and, and I'm going to go deeper than that, okay? But listen, I love nice. I like when nice things happen, right? I mean, who doesn't like who doesn't like nice? I mean, I like it when someone opens the door and do nice things. And uh, by the way, if you're not a nice person, that's okay. There are jobs at the Secretary of State office for you. And um, <laughs> you fit right in, all right? Well, this morning, I want to challenge you to be more than nice. I'm going to go deeper than that. And I want to challenge you to really care about somebody's spiritual condition. I want to challenge you to care about the non-believers, non-followers of Christ. Now listen, I know, you know, when I start to bring up a subject like this, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, today would have been a good day to miss. Because I don't like talking about God to people. That, that's, not, that's not in my lane. You know, I'm not the preachy type. I'm not the evangelist type. You know, when I, when I start to talk about just the idea of having a conversation about God, that makes me all nervous. That makes me all scared. I don't, I don't even own a, a T-shirt with John 3.16 on it. And it's just not me. And I get it. Listen, I understand. And if I'm honest with you, I, I sometimes have some fears when it comes to a, con a God conversation talking about Jesus to other people. I, I, I know, some of you find that difficult to believe. Says God, I, I don't believe that. You know, you're up here on the platform every Sunday talking to hundreds of people. And, and I'm going to tell you, there's a big difference between me standing up here talking to a bunch of y'all and having a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, up here, listen, up here, if, I, if I'm connecting with your face and I can tell you don't like me, that's okay. I look at somebody else. <laughs> you blow me off, I blow you off. <laughs> I'm safe up here. But in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I can't do that. It can get uncomfortable. And if I get uncomfortable, I start to sweat. And if I start to sweat, I get a little stinky. And it's all good. It can get uncomfortable. I, and by the way, I've got friends. They're great at this. They're great at one-on-one -on -one conversations. You know, they can walk anywhere at any time and talk to some random stranger. And before you know it, he's having an altar call right in the middle of the store. They're getting saved. And then they always tell me stories about that, you know, about things that they're doing. And, and me, I feel like, man, I'm not that good of a Christian then. You know, I feel bad about myself. I feel terrible. You know, they're the type of people that get on the plane. Their goal, when they get on an airplane, is to have a conversation, a spiritual conversation with somebody. My goal, when I get on the plane, is to sleep. <laughs> Y'all hear me? And, and, and if I do have a conversation, someone asks me, say, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm sitting there, and they have a conversation. They say, hey, what do you do for a living? I say, well, I'm a pastor. They fall asleep. <laughs> they don't want to talk to me either. My friend, you know, the minute he gets on the plane, he's working the crowd. 
And I'm just walking down the aisle. God bless you. I see you. Hey, how you doing? Be healed in the name of Jesus. And all the way to his seat. I mean, it just comes so natural for him. It doesn't come natural for me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not embarrassed about my relationship with God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. But yeah, I struggle sometimes with fear. And I promise you, it'll be the same fear that you face. The fear of rejection. The fear of, what if I tell them the wrong thing and I say the wrong stuff and I mess them up? Or the fear of, man, I'm not good enough. I, I live a double life. I have a double standard. They know it. I might turn them off. All these thoughts, right? And, and I understand those fears. I live with those fears. But at the same time, I'm also a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I've got to do everything I can to figure out a way to alleviate those fears and to do what Jesus tells us to do. You know, one of the last words that, that Jesus said to the, to, to the disciples, to his followers, right before he ascended to heaven. I don't have the verse on the screen, but it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you will be my witnesses. You know, you're going to be my witnesses from Jerusalem to the far corners of the planet. And he said, that, that's a command. That's not an idea. That's not a suggestion. I'm commanding you, followers of me, to be my witnesses. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse number 19, you know, it's the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That was the command. It wasn't a suggestion. And so how do we go about making disciples of all nations? How do we go about doing what God wants us to do? And instead of this morning telling you how I do it, I think the better example would be how did Jesus do it? And so we're going to look at a story in John chapter 4. And I'm not going to read every verse. I'm going to encourage you to maybe just read the whole chapter. But I'm, I'm going to highlight some things. But there's some powerful stuff here that we can learn on how Jesus handled a conversation and how it came about. And so if you'd like to follow with me, John chapter 4 and verse number 3. Jesus is with his disciples. The Bible said that he left Judea, that's home base, and returned to Galilee. And he had, in verse number four, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now here's the deal. No Jewish person had to go through Samaria. Samaria were... Um, would have been the logical way to go on from Judea to Galilee. But most Jewish person, most Jewish would avoid, they would kind of take a detour, they would take the extra hours to avoid walking through Samaria because they hated each other. Jewish and Samaritan, they couldn't stand to be in the same room together. A Jew person might, might look at a Samaritan and call them a dog. That's what they would call them. They were nothing but dogs. In fact, they would say, you're worse than dogs. That's how they would tell. That's what they thought of each other. But Jesus, the Bible says, he had to go there. He didn't have to go there, but he had to go there. 
In verse number five, eventually Jesus and the, and the disciples, they came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob, well, was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, he sat wearily beside the well, beside the well about noontime. Uh, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, hey, please give me a drink. She had the tools, she had the bucket, the rope, maybe a ladle, but she had everything there. She said, please give me a drink. And then verse number eight, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So in this culture, a woman would draw water in the morning time. And for several reasons for this. Um, it was cooler in the morning for the chore to happen. It was cooler to go. The other thing is, uh, is that that's when all the other women would go. That's when all the other women went. That might surprise some of us ladies, but back then they loved to have a social gathering whenever they could. They just loved to get together. And so every morning, there was a community-wide ladies event right there at the well. And they socialized. This was their quote-unquote Facebook. This was how they interacted. All right? And so they got up early in the morning when it was cool to hang out with the other ladies. But the Bible tells us right here that it is noontime, which is the hottest part of the day, and only one woman is there, which is unusual. And the reason that it's unusual because this woman was an unusual woman. In fact, she was an outcast. She was, she was shunned by her community. She was different. You'll see in a few minutes that this lady didn't belong. She, would, she might as well have been wearing the scarlet letter on her dress. The Bible says in verse number nine, this woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Well, she said to Jesus, you're a Jew. Well, I'm a Samaritan. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why, why are you asking me for a drink? She was surprised because in that culture, Jesus broke every wall that you could think of. He broke down the gender wall. He male and female, they just didn't really talk to each other in the, in the culture. Right? So they didn't do that out in public. He broke down the racial wall, Jews and Samaritans. We've already talked about that. He broke down the social wall. She was shunned. She was outcast. She was immoral. And Jesus was talking to her, and, and all this surprised her. Jesus was breaking down all the walls. And it surprised her. Watch what Jesus does here in verse number 13. And talking to her, and he says, he said to her, anyone who drank this water, he pointed to the well water, and said, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, Jesus takes something that was common 
and he moves it into a spiritual conversation. What was common? Water and thirst. Water and thirst. He took what was common to her and turned it into a spiritual conversation. When Jesus talked about quenching your thirst, guess what? I understand that too. I think so. I think you will too as well. And not, not only physical thirst, but I can, I can also understand emotional thirst and, and, and spiritual thirst. You see, everybody, everybody thirsty for something. Some people are thirsty for power. Some, thirst, some people are thirsty for money. Some people are thirsty for, for significance. Some people are thirsty for fame. But we're all thirsty for something. And Jesus, he's connected with this woman because of something common, and he turned it into a spiritual conversation. Jesus said, hey, listen, I'll give you something that will satisfy your thirst. And this piqued the woman's interest a little bit. Bible says in verse 15, she said, sir, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't ever have to come back to this well to get water. And then the conversation took a turn. Look at verse 16. Jesus said, okay, go get your husband. And the woman said, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, yeah, I know. You've had five husbands. And the one that you're hanging out now, you're not even married to him. And you can probably think about what, what happened to that woman when she heard it. Her, her jaw probably just dropped and hit the floor and said, wait a minute. You know, you know that about me? You know all this about me? And Jesus shows you that he knows everything. And yet at the same time, he still accepts her. He's still talking to her. And so the conversation keeps going and going back and forth and, and for a few more verses, but we get to the climax of the conversation in verse 25. The woman said, well, I, I know that the Messiah is coming. I know that this Messiah, is, he's, he's, you know, we've been talking about this Messiah. We know he's coming. His name is, the, you know, it's the one who's called Christ. He could be called the Christ. And he will explain everything to us. He will, he will make sure everything will get better. And then Jesus responded. It's so powerful. He said, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. I mean, this is such a, a, a holy, holy moment. This was right here. This is where her eyes are open. She realized she is talking to the Messiah. Look at verse number 28. And the woman left her water jar. Man, I love the detail of this. She left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, could he possibly be the Messiah? Uh, go back to that phrase. He, she left her water jar. You know what that tells me? She went to the well with an agenda. What was the agenda? Get water. She didn't come to have a conversation with anybody. She went there so she wouldn't have so she would be socially distant from everybody. 
You know, I have, you know, no one wanted to talk to her, but she met Jesus. Jesus introduced himself to her as the Messiah. Her life has changed. She came with one agenda, and she left with a different agenda. She left different in the way she came in. Her life was changed by the conversation. Jesus changed her agenda. All of a sudden, he said, man, I've got to go back to the town that hates me, and I've got to tell them about Jesus, about this person who I just met, who I've just experienced, and all things made new. Jesus changed her agenda. Now, meanwhile, the disciples, they're coming back. All right, they've been in town. I don't know, they probably went through the drive-thru at McDonald's, they got used to the Happy Meal. You know, they get back to the well, and, 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 and Jesus, you know, he, he, I'm sure he's beaming. And they're like, let's try and figure out what's going on. We pick up this first number 31. The disciples are urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Your, your McDonald's meal is getting cold. You know, just sitting there, eat something. And Jesus said, I, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. The disciples are like, what, what, what's going on, Jesus? He <laughs> said, did someone, they started asking each other, did someone bring him food while you were gone? I mean, you guys are saying, Jesus, we just, you know, we just hiked five miles to town to get you food. We get back and somebody already gave you food? What's going on? And Jesus said, hey, listen, I just got filled. I just got nourished. I just did what I came to do, and it's so, so fulfilling. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus said to the disciples, hey, did you notice that woman when you came this way and she would go back to town? Did you see her when you passed by? Did you see the light on her face, the light on her eyes, the smile on her face, the extra hop in her step? Did you, did you pick up on that? You see, that's what I came to do. That's my food. That's my nourishment. Look at, look at verse number 34. Jesus explained. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Look at verse 35. He said, wake up, guys. Time to look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Look at verse 36. The fruit that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Oh, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester. Jesus said, man, it's a game-changing moment when we can open our eyes and wake up and see that the field is ripe for the harvest. Oh, what joy there come to the, not just the person that's receiving the gospel, but also for the one who's, who's giving the gospel, who's sharing the gospel, for the one who plug in into the unplug, who's caring for the unplug, to plug them into Jesus. Y'all don't mind me if I preach a little bit extra today, do you? I mean, I get all fired up talking about lost people. Y'all just hang on to your hat because it gets a little bit better, okay? You know, I used to come from the South. And down there, we call it having a little bit of a, a, little bit of a spell, okay? So if I have a little bit of a spell, you know, just, just, just don't mind me, okay? All right, Karen just wants to mention that. You got a little extra fire in your belly. I don't know, because life is short. The eternity is long. 
And we have a purpose. There's nothing more to excite us than excite me to get over our fears and to help people see the potential in Jesus. That's why we're here. And God's word to speak to us. It's as if God was saying to us, hey, Lake Point Church, wake up. Open your eyes. People need to be brought to eternal life. The fields are ripe. They, they don't need religion. They don't need more rules. They don't need more things to do. They need to get plugged in with Jesus. And when they have an encounter with Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. You want to you accelerate your spiritual growth? You know how to accelerate your spiritual growth? You know how you get really fired up? Start caring about the harvest. Start caring about lost souls. Start to care. Start to care. You say, well, Scott, how do I care? How do I do this? Well, we're going to learn from what Jesus did. And I took the word care as an acrostic, and I put four actions to each one of these statements. Real quickly, let us see if you're taking notes. Got to capitalize on common ground. Got to capitalize on common ground. That's what Jesus did. He talked about water, talked about thirsty. And he capitalized on that. See, your common ground is where, is where you hang out with people. If you're in school, that's your common ground. You hang out with other people at school. If your kids are in school, you hang out with the parent. Two kids go to that same school. You go to work. Your common ground is the people that you work with. What, what is your common ground? There are people that you will connect with that I would never connect with. That's your common ground. Who are you connected with? And we need to capitalize on your common ground. That, and that's the easiest of the four. You know, for tonight, some of you will hang out with people that love football, right? And, and you, ha you know, either you're there for the football game or you're there for the food or there for the commercial, one of those three things. But you're a common ground hanging out with people. I'm not saying you're going to turn off the TV at some point and say, hey, I've got to give you a message. That's not what I'm saying. But you're building that common ground with people. Capitalize on your common ground. Look at the letter A. You accept people where they are. Accept people where they are. And this is one of the biggest hurdles in spiritual conversations. You see, it's so easy for you and I to throw up a wall of judgment to the people we don't like, to the people that are not like us. You start having a conversation with someone and you can smell the, you can smell the weed off of them. It's so easy, the wall of judgment. I don't have anything to do with them. Or you're a Michigan fan, you see someone wearing a Michigan State shirt. Or Ohio State fan, okay, how about that? Ohio State fan, we're all in agreement with that, okay? We put, it's so easy to put a wall of judgment on, oh, I don't know. You know, you talk to someone, they just reek of alcohol off their breath and they're stumbling. It's so easy to say, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. Wall of judgment. It's so easy for us to do that. And when the wall of judgment goes up, you will not care for that person. 
You will not care. Now, let, let, me, just, let me just be clear. When, when, when accepting somebody, it, it doesn't mean that you're approving of their lifestyle. Not approving of their life choices. When, when, you're, when you're accepting them, what you're doing is you're accepting, accepting them as, a, a, as God's creation, and you're caring about their spiritual condition. I mean, think, for, think with me for just a second. If Jesus had, had not ever accepted this woman in her current situation and thrown up a wall of judgment, what would that conversation have been like? Think about that conversation. Jesus would have probably said, hi, I'm, I'm Jesus, you know, Jesus the Messiah. I, I, I would talk to you, but you're the town tramp. You know, and, and, and to be honest with you, your disregard to the laws of marriage just honestly disgusts me. You know, I've got this wonderful uh, eternal water bubbling inside that I could give you, but I don't want to give it to you because of your lifestyle and your reputation. So, hey, have a good day now. Hey, guys, where's my food? But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus accepted her. He knew everything about her. He still accepted her. If, you know, if people matter to God, it should matter to us. People matter. And so we've got to accept them. Let her are, as you care, got to risk sharing your spiritual story. Got to take a risk. Now, when I was a teenager, you know, I was taught not to share my spiritual story, but I was taught like to memorize the 30, 60 second presentation. Uh, uh, we were, listen, I know, we were crazy back then. We were our teenagers, but fun. We would go door to door, knocking on doors. They answered the door and said, you know Jesus? <laughs> you know, and, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you need Jesus. You know, and like, we would spit out a 30, 60 second presentation and, and then, hey, our goal was to convert, 60 seconds or less. Convert, convert, convert. That was the goal. If it takes us more than 60 seconds, we're going too slow. And that, that's what we were taught. And, and that's the kind of pushy, preachy, phony stuff that people are resistant to. And so let me challenge you to do this. And for some of you, this, this just might just be the game changer for you. So take a note. Instead of making conversion your goal, make spiritual conversations your goal. Make spiritual conversation your goal. Take a risk and share part of your spiritual story. In fact, if you take a note, share your testimony. Testimony. What is a testimony? I mean, it's just easy. Easy stuff, you can't, get, you can't get wrong on it. But testimony is three parts. What you were before Christ, how you came to know Christ, and what's your life ever been since, since you met Christ. It's that simple. You're talking to someone, say, man, I was messed up, I was hooked on this, I was trying to search for life, uh, nothing seemed to satisfy, I was, I was, you know, desperate, and someone invited me to church, and I started asking questions about Jesus, I came to know Christ, I received him in my life, and ever since that day, my life has never been the same. 
testimony. Testimony. You can expound on it, you know, longer if you need to. But sharing your testimony. You don't have to have all the answers to do that. And, I, and, I, and that's what Jesus did. Actually, Jesus shared a, a spiritual statement. And if you're not in position to share a spiritual story, then start with a spiritual statement. Notice in the story in John chapter 4, notice Jesus' spiritual statement. He says, I am the Messiah. Now, Jesus had that going for him. <laughs> None of us can take that spiritual statement. None of us can use that. Only Jesus can go with that spiritual statement. But we can come up with another spiritual statement. It might be as simple as, you know, you're at work and you're talking to somebody, a coworker. You know, you don't really know him that well, but you, you start to talk to him. And you can sense a, you can sense a, 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 a sense of loneliness in his life. It's a man, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm divorced. You know, I'm by myself at home. I've got nothing going on. I'm, I'm depressed. And you can, a, a simple spiritual statement, say, listen, you know, why don't you come hang out with us tomorrow night in a Bible study? You know, you know, no pressure. You don't have to know anything about the Bible. Just come hang out with us. If other guys like you, we have, we have a great time. We talk and we go out to eat afterwards. Simple spiritual statement. Or you can say, man, I go, you know, talking to someone, listen, I go to church every week and, and I'm trying to figure out what, what on earth I'm here for. And I, I know life is short and I don't want to waste my time. So I'm, I'm trying to learn my purpose. Spiritual statement. Or you can say, listen, I used to have a problem with, you know, you fill in the blank. Drugs, you know, bad marriage, anger, any one of the million human struggles, right? And so I used to have a, I used to struggle with this, but Jesus gave me a brand new life. Simple spiritual statement that you can make. You're watching a football game. Some guy on TV wearing a John 316 shirt. I promise you're gonna be there, okay? You're gonna see that 316 shirt and say, huh. That's interesting. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a cool verse. Huh, how do you know that? I don't know, I go to church. Why don't you come with me sometime? Spiritual statement. Spiritual statement. Take a risk. Take a risk and make a spiritual statement. I'm not saying be preachy. I'm not saying be judgy. But pray and asking God to take that spiritual risk. You care. And you can find that risk and to speak the truth. And when you make a spiritual conversation the goal and not conversion, man, that takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, I don't have to work. Hey, listen, it, it is not my job to seal the deal. What brings me to letter E? Expect God to do his part. I do my part, God do his part. Here, here's the one thing I want you to remember in this point. You know, I, I said the one word I want you to remember today, care. But the other word, that's the point, is the word faithfulness. God's called us to be faithful. Plant seeds. Plant seeds. You might see the results of it. You might not. But you're planting seed. And as you plant seed, you let God bring the results. Takes a lot of pressure off of us. But the Bible says... How can, they, how can they hear without a preacher? Now that word preacher is the wrong translation. The better translation is how can they hear without a messenger? And guess what? All of us are called to be a messenger. And they can't hear the message when we don't open our mouth and take a spiritual risk. 
not talking about, you know, what do I need to, what do, I need to do to get you in a relationship with Jesus today kind of a talk. Uh, I'm not talking about being a car salesman. You're taking a risk. Tell your spiritual story, make a spiritual statement, and you expect God to do the rest. Uh, look, look, look at how the story ends. You see, when, when we do our part, God does his part, and when God gets involved, incredible things happen. Look at verse number 40. One day, that's the town people. They came out to see Jesus, and they begged him to stay in their village. This is why Jesus had to go to Samaria, right here, right here, people, right here. He said, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. My friends, listen, if he is indeed the savior of the world, and you know that personally, and you believe that, then why would we not want other people to know? Why would we not take the risk? Why would we not care to plug people into Jesus so that they can see the full potential of who Jesus is? We don't go not with the agenda to convert, but we go with the agenda to share a spiritual story so that people can indeed know that Jesus is the savior of the world. We care. That's what we're called to do. Every one of us, we should care because the field is ripe for the harvest. And as you leave, I pray that you generally care for people, find common ground, accept them for who they are, to take that risk, share a spiritual story, and to trust and expect God to do the rest, to do his part. And God does incredible things when that happens. Here's the takeaway. I'm gonna wrap this up. The takeaway it's in your program. It's a little, little card. It's not a fancy card. I didn't, I didn't have anyone do this. I made a card. I'm not a fancy, you know, a graphic designer, but I didn't want it to be fancy. I didn't want something so cool that you, you framed it or you put it on your refrigerator. I wanted to keep it simple where it says, I will pray and care for the following people who don't know Jesus. And it's four blanks. You might, you might have more. You put them on the back. You might only know the person's first name. You might only know, you know, the guy with the bald head at the door. That's what you put down. You know, you don't know his name, you know? You know, you say, hey, I'm praying for that, for that guy. You know, but I see him all the time. We have conversations. I don't know his name, you know? And I, and I start to write down four or five names of people I'm going to start praying for. And asking God for an open opportunity to show that I care to show that I care. You know, Easter's in two months. What if we start praying now? What if we start praying now for God to bring the fruit of the harvest? You know, the last two years been, you know, the last two years been kind of crazy, right? If anything, the pandemic has taught us how to be socially disconnected. I pray that we can, as we start seeing this pandemic, Lord willing, it'll not come to an end. That we can start getting out there, 
start looking at people in the face and start to care. Write these names down. Listen, does it start for you to put on, you know, to wear at work? <laughs> you know, and if it's written in the Bible, so every time you look at it, it reminds you to pray. You're not going around and say, hey, listen, Jonah, you're, you're number three on my hit list. I'm after you, buddy. That's not what that's for. Write it down as a reminder to pray and to care. God, we ask you to help us. God, help us to see, to open our eyes, to wake up, to see that the fields are ripe for the harvest. And God, I pray that we go with a passion, with a sense of urgency, because we don't know how long we have, we don't know how long they have. But life is short, and eternity is long, and heaven and hell are both real. And God, I pray we do whatever it takes to pray and to care, to seek common ground, to accept people for where they are, for where they're at, to take that spiritual risk to open our mouths, share a spiritual story or a spiritual statement. And God, at the end of the day, our job is not to, our job is not to convert. You'll do that. Our job is just to tell the story and to share your gospel. And so, God, we ask you to help each and every one of us to take it to heart. The car doesn't get thrown in the garbage at home, but that they actually do something with it as a reminder of the people in our common grounds to pray for and to care for. In Jesus' name, amen.